Hey, what's up, everybody? It is Eric and Luke with a very special guest, Dr. Marina Harris, here for here for Bible Banter. We're going to be talking about uh, what are we talking about again, Luke? I uh, man, we are we are talking about mental health, Eric. Ooh, yeah, mental health. And Luke, Luke has been saying for a while, uh, Marina, that uh, that we've needed a psychologist on so that we can get some free therapy on here. So, um, so a little bit, so, uh, Marina, would you mind sharing with the audience a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. Uh, first, thanks so much for having me on the air. I'm so excited to do, uh, to talk about mental health in COVID, especially because it's at the forefront for most of us right now. Oh, yeah. Uh, so I just graduated with my PhD in clinical psychology from the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. My specialty areas are eating disorders, uh, sports psychology, but mostly I just work with people to make their lives better in whatever way they feel like is most helpful. So really excited to use this as a way to help people do that. And right now I work at UNC. So I have some time in the athletics department working with UNC athletes. And then I have some time in the UNC Center of Excellence for Eating Disorders, uh, where I work in the hospital and an outpatient clinic. So super cool. So in just like a side note, you are our so people on the program know that I play hockey with the North Carolina Warriors, which is a disabled veterans organization. And your husband is uh, one of our big volunteers. He is our coach. So yeah, so he's, he's great. He's one of my favorite people. Don't tell him I said that, Um, (laughs) but I really, I, I, whenever Dustin's around, I always enjoy talking to him. So, Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah, He Um, has loved being part of the Warriors organization. So really glad to hear that. shows. So knowing that you're a sports psychologist, Um, so, so something that I've realized is every time I buy a new hockey stick, um, I play better. So, so two questions. Um, one, do I need to keep buying new hockey sticks before every game? And two, how can I persuade my wife to do that? That's not going to ruin us financially. Before you answer Eric's question, I have a request that you do not do any Freudian analysis of his hockey stick. No Freud from me. I am not a Freudian therapist at all. Really? I thought like Freud was like king of psychology. He is. 50 years ago. Yeah. How long ago? 50? I don't know. Lots and lots and lots of years ago. But he does like all the dream analysis stuff. And Mm -hmm. and I don't really do much of that anymore. I do more cognitive behavioral therapy. So that's where we talk about how our thoughts influence how we feel and behave. And although, of course, Freud is the father of modern psychology, um, Freud had a much different therapy. So. Yeah, it would it would be it would be like saying that you're going to do physics today with Newtonian laws. Those are great, but we've moved on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Although I'm sure there are some psychoanalysts out there who would disagree with me, but everyone has their own training. So, so Marina, we know you. So you got your PhD. Now, where did you get mm-hmm. your PhD at? Uh, University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Okay, so probably it's kind of a difficult thing to achieve, right? Um, a PhD, like it's not easy. No. And it's definitely the hardest thing I've ever done. And Mm -hmm. I did college gymnastics (laughs) and did lots of other things in my life. Um, but getting into a PhD in clinical psychology is actually more difficult than getting into medical school. I learned. Wow. 
So knowing all that, you've achieved, you know, something great with your academics. My question is this. Were you valedictorian in high school? No, but Luke I was. think I was close. Were you, Luke? Luke was valedictorian. Eric, um, and Eric he Eric. tells everybody, like he introduces himself. He goes, <laughs> hi, I'm Pastor Luke Copeland. I was valedictorian at South Johnston High School in, in North Carolina. Eric learned this. So Eric and I have been doing this show for like six months. He learned mm -hmm. this about me two weeks ago. And he brings it up every time that I talk to him now. And I never thought I could be so embarrassed at my own accomplishment. <laughs> it's mostly out of envy because I was such a terrible student. Um, but um, really, Luke, I mean, it's something that you and your family, I'm sure, are incredibly proud of. It will be on well, your gravestone someday. For the record, Marina, for the record, Marina, I was not valedictorian in college. That did not happen. <laughs> uh, I have one. I have one silly question before mm -hmm. we. Uh, I think Eric had a, a few he wanted to ask, and then we'll get to very serious and very important issue of mental health. But I had one question for you that's very important to me. Um, since you got a doctorate in psychology from a university in Las Vegas, I mean, are you a really good poker player? <laughs> oh my gosh, I wish I didn't have time to play poker. <laughs> Although one cool thing that I did do there is I actually got to do performance psychology with Cirque du Soleil, which is one of the only places you can do that in the world. So that was a really awesome experience. Wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's it was neat. super fun. Mark, I was homeschooled until uh, fifth grade. And my mom made sure to really boost my early grade GPAs, which is why I was able to win in the end. <laughs> so we are starting something new. We are trying something out new on you, Marina, which is we're going to have three questions. They're going to be the same questions for every guest that we have. So um, uh, the first question is, who is your favorite band or musical artist? That, that is and, a question, and, and, way, not a listen, listen, we were, we were going to go to a concert together, like in the middle of COVID. My wife yeah. was really excited for it. Never heard of the band before, um, which my wife tells me I'm lame, which is probably true. But at least it wasn't Good Charlotte, <laughs> which you also have. You love Good Charlotte just like my wife does. So you obviously have poor taste. So who is your favorite band? <laughs> oh, that's such a good question. Um my favorite band historically has been Sum 41. Yeah. I love, so back, like when they came out, so I knew about Sum 41 before they got popular. And then when they got popular, I was like, oh, no, nah, man. Sum 41, so lame. <laughs> no, Marina, I don't, I don't know if you've seen this show before, but I want you to understand this actually is our brand that we bring on guests and immediately insult them. So don't take it personally. <laughs> I don't feel insulted at all. This is great. <laughs> so, okay. So you got the first question wrong. Um, what countries have you either visited or lived in? I haven't lived in any countries besides the United States, uh, but I visited Mexico and Canada. Um, Canada. Don't count. Yeah. That's America South and North. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Canada was the trip actually working with circus artists. So that was okay. very cool. Um, and then my husband and I last year for our honeymoon went to France, Italy, and Spain. So that was very cool. So which one was your favorite? Probably Italy. 
Thanks, Lindsay. Lindsay, which is um, Luke's wife, is throwing shade already. Thanks, Lindsay. <laughs> Don't even know you yet. Like we haven't Marina, even met. Marina, can you can you see the comments? Are you able to see? No, I don't oh. think so. So you should. Are you on your phone or a tablet or a laptop? I'm on a laptop. So you should see in the upper right hand corner two uh, tabs that say private chat and comments. If you put comments, you do not want to miss our comment section. If you want to do some psychoanalysis, I'm telling you. <laughs> Yeah, we, <laughs> be careful what you comment. We get a psychologist on here. So last oh, question. <laughs> last question. Okay. What? Now, this is very important. This is a Christian program. What is your favorite movie? And why is it God's Not Dead? <laughs> that is obviously a joke because I'm on record as saying that's a terrible movie. <laughs> Can I abstain? <laughs> <laughs> What's your actual favorite movie? Yeah. Oh, I am a right Harry now? Potter freak, so I did not know that. Okay, uh -huh. I am. Yeah. We're off. We actually have an episode in our banter club on Harry Potter. Yep, we're gonna have to love we it. Should have had Marina on. You picked the wrong episode to have her on. <laughs> yeah, I I so, okay, so real quick question because this is this is very important. How? Who's the real hero? Of the Harry Potter story. Oh, that's so easy. It's Hermione. <laughs> wow. Hey, we're such we're, a great guest. Um, I, I've so never heard not, that answer. Snape, Snape is the hero. Snape is definitely a hero. The Hold on. hero. Hold I'm on. pretty no. sure Harry Potter wouldn't have been alive past the first movie if it wasn't for Hermione. So. That is true. Hermione is like, so here's the thing. Hermione's the greatest wizard of them all. And she legit. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's you. That is, Marina, yeah, I, don't I, can't you, I don't know if you've seen Lord of the Rings, but do you view Hermione as like the Samwise Gamgee character in Harry Potter? He's the one who secretly makes it happen, but gets none of the credit. Oh, don't judge me, but I am not a Lord of the Rings fan. Bummer. Wow. I was I was really liking you up to this point. <laughs> I know, so, I just ruined all of it, didn't I? <laughs> um, yeah, we were yeah, have you because I know you're in so so your your husband's brother, Travis, and his wife go to Disney about once a month. Yep. And like it is crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um have you gone with them and gone to the Harry Potter Universal Studios thing? Yeah, when we went with them, though, I think it was being built. We okay. went three years or four years ago. Mm, I think it may have been six years ago at this point. Oh, oh. That's, so, that's so long ago. Oh. <laughs> Ever since COVID, I no longer am able to keep track of time. It seems like everything is forever ago. It's COVID time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, which we'll probably get into here. I was only asking <laughs> because so so we were supposed to go on a cruise in February. Like, talk about mental health, man. Like, I don't get, I don't take vacations. I never have. Like, it's not a mm -hmm. pastor thing. Like, when I was in the army, I had nearly ninety days saved up of leave. Um, so we were supposed to go on a cruise in February, and Robin told me we're gonna have to cancel the cruise. And it was at that time that I revealed to her that just the thought of going on a on a cruise was giving me anxiety. And then she's like, then we don't need to go on a cruise. Like she's all like understanding. She wasn't understanding before, but then I was like, man, all the money that we get back from the, uh, the refund. I was like, we could, we should go to Disney, man. 
But then I, I started looking at Disney and I started seeing Harry Potter at Universal Studios. And I'm like, listen, I want to go see Harry Potter. I want to go to Hogsmeade and Diagon Alley. Yep. Go <laughs> with you. Take me with you. As as per usual, <laughs> as per usual, the banter so far has uh, uh, dominated the discussion. But I think at this point we can turn toward slightly more serious matters, always with the jovial spirit. Uh, and there's so much that we could talk about. So maybe we could start by letting you, Marina, just sort of give an overview of your general impressions of the COVID era and how it affects mental health for all of us. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure there are plenty of things that I will miss because COVID has affected all of us in ways that we never even thought about. So we're seeing just in general, a huge exacerbation of mental health concerns among everybody. Uh, There's a ton of grief and loss that is occurring right now for so many people. And it's really hard to make meaning when there aren't lots of uh, things to do that help facilitate meaning. And so a lot of people are just feeling really lost. Um, And then on top of that, there has been a huge economic impact of COVID. And we know that socioeconomic status affects all kinds of mental health concerns and also like getting your basic needs met, like food and shelter. And so I think it's just a huge um, loss at the things that people now don't have that we all sort of took for granted before COVID. Hmm. I read an article. um, I don't know. I think it was like a week or two ago. I meant to bring it up today. I just forgot, but um, it it was suggesting that suicide rates among uh, veterans is up 20%. And I, and someone else had brought it to my attention. I said, you know, I bet, I bet it's probably the same across the board. It's probably just not veterans, but although mm-hmm. veterans have a higher rate of suicide than, than most other segments of our population, um, I mean, that's that's tremendous. That's mm-hmm. that's a huge increase. It's huge. Marina, you- I'm curious how, not, not to ask you to give like a, your own mental health an- analysis, but just on a more logistical level, because this has affected so many of us in the way that we do our jobs. I mean, how has it affected you? I can't imagine that your job looks the way that it did six months ago. Yeah, it looks totally different. Um, There are definitely things that are easier about it. So for example, I commute to Chapel Hill, which is about 30 minutes away from home for me. So that makes it a lot easier. But it, I have definitely felt the weight of other people struggling with mental health issues, especially at work. And um, speaking of suicide, Eric, like when it's a lot scarier for me to be managing somebody who's struggling with suicidal thoughts or like planning a suicide via video when I'm not physically with them, then it feels when I'm like actually in the room with someone and I feel like I can have more say over their safety. So a lot of providers are also feeling really burnt out and waitlists are so long right now. So it's even hard to just get in to see somebody. Um, uh, Institutions have increased their productivity requirements for psychologists. So we're being expected to see a lot higher volume of patients at a higher severity. So everybody is feeling a lot right now. Wow. So, so in a, in like a regular environment, how many patients like if you had your calendar full, how many patients would you mm-hmm. typically see in a day compared to what it is now? Oof, good question. 
Yeah, that's actually a hard question because at Duke, where I was last year, I was expected to see a higher volume of people than I am now. I probably see five or six people a day, which mm -hmm. is fairly manageable. But my sweet spot, like I would so much rather see about four people mm -hmm. a day. And what happens, like, especially right now in athletics, when we have big wait lists, what we end up doing is spacing people like every other week. And mm -hmm. so even though I might only see like five athletes on my calendar for the week, I'm managing like 10 and 12 athletes at a time, even though I only have five calendar slots. So it ends up being sort of a like Jenga game for calendar of how to fit people in mm -hmm. and get people's needs met. Cause it's really hard. Yeah. Yeah. So in practical ways, I mean, how have you seen, um, for, for those that struggle with things, like for me, like I I've shared this on the program before, like I've, I've wrestled with anxiety and depression for it, like probably about 12 years or so. Um, how has, like the lockdown and, and not being able to get out of the house, even those who are like, I'm a fairly productive member of society. I think like I have a full-time job, have kids, I'm active and all this other stuff, but it's still like, there's times, at least for me, I feel like the walls are closing in at times. So like, how, what does that practically look like across the board? Not just for, for me, like, people yeah. Yeah. And actually depression is a great example. So a lot of times what happens with the cycle of depression is that we feel bad. So we withdraw from activities that we previously liked and we tend to like isolate. We don't do as much. We stay in bed longer and then we feel bad. So it continues this like really unhelpful cycle. And one of the main treatment like interventions that we have for depression is actually scheduling activities and helping people get out and do things even when they don't feel like it. Cause mm -hmm. a lot of people fall into the trap of like, I have to be motivated to go do stuff with my friends. And we actually say, actually, no, it's the opposite. You have to go see your friends first and then you'll mm -hmm. feel better. And so the thing with COVID is that all of these people are doing the opposite of what we would suggest to do when you're depressed. They're staying inside, they're isolating, they're not getting social connection. And of course, it's not on purpose. And it never is when people have depression. Mm -hmm. But it's making all of our mood symptoms worse. So what you're saying is essentially you can just follow the old Bob Newhart skit. Um, just stop it. Just stop it. <laughs> no, not at wow, all. Wow, 10 years of school and that's all you learned? Oh, my goodness. First of all. One piece, one piece of the depressive uh, treatment. <laughs> first of all, thank you, Eric, for uh, referencing my favorite SNL skit maybe ever. I mean, one of the best I've ever seen. Is uh, SNL is pretty much dead. Have you watched it recently? Oh, that's I speaking of depression, let's not talk about that. We're just gonna <laughs> uh, oh my goodness. I'd rather watch a presidential debate. There's actually a really interesting <laughs> You are the only person, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> There's actually a really interesting biblical connection here as I as I hear uh Marina talking about depression and how one of the uh, uh, best treatments is scheduled activity, which is so difficult to 
to do that right now. I think of Eric of Hebrews 10, where uh, the author of Hebrews says, don't neglect the habit of meeting together. And just how so much of uh, spiritual life comes from spiritual activity. Mm -hmm. And it's difficult for some people to engage in that right now because of the risks of COVID or maybe even just maybe they're able to participate virtually. But to Marina was saying earlier, talking about someone for patients, how it's not quite the same as being in the room. Um, there, do, there do seem to be some connections here between spiritual health and mental health and how a lot of it has to do with your activity and how that activity is very difficult right now because of the situation of the world. Yeah, and that's so true because even from a scientific, psychological perspective, humans are hardwired for connection. You know, that is a basic need that humans have. And so whether people are connecting with others spiritually or in other ways, that's something we need. And if we're not getting that right now during COVID, that is a huge loss of part of who we are as people. Yeah. Now, Marina, you'll, yeah, learn quickly I, that you'll, you'll learn quickly that the life of our show is in the chat. So I'm going to let Eric respond, and then I want you to answer Pama's question. Oh, yeah, I think, hey. <laughs> um, you know, I find it really curious because I think, you know, um, scientifically, psychologically, you know, M Marina would, would agree that, you know, we are made for community. Like even those people who are introverted, um, they still have a community of sorts. Even the people that would rather be in, in books and, and just away from people, they still have a sense in which they need to be around people. And that goes to what Luke was just saying about Hebrews 10, when the author of Hebrews instructs us, like, don't forsake the gathering because God doesn't only he has designed us for the purpose of community to worship him, but to do such in, in a communal environment, because we are communal creatures. We very much live in, in a community, whatever that community is. Um, and, and, you know, I, at least when it, this past Sunday was our first Sunday going back indoors for worship service. And um, like, I would say our Sunday attendance was higher than any other attendance we had in like maybe the four months prior, you know, people were just so in, we had masks. Don't at me. Like I got it. Don't listen. I, I got it. I see your things on Facebook. I know people think I hate people's health and want granny to die. I don't want granny to die. I don't want your granny. Oh, my granny's already dead. Like I get it. Don't, don't, don't come at me. Aaron, we masks, we're socially distant. You don't have to defend They're yourself. Listen, right? We, we, the people who watched this show it was good watched the episodes at the beginning when you talked about how important it was for us to take this seriously and take proper precautions, all right? No one here thinks you're a grandma killer, except for maybe Marina, but I'll let her. <laughs> um, now, uh. Marina, your cue is lining up. How about we start with uh, Palma and her remarks? Yeah, sure. Yeah, Palma, thanks for uh, tuning in and sending in a question. I think you're right on that kids and teenagers are have not been taught how to deal with a global pandemic because nobody has. Uh, <laughs> we don't know what to do in this scenario. There is not a right way to proceed. And kids, especially in developmental phases, are missing out on really important parts of their life, like doing sports, graduating, going to college, and things like that, that just contribute to the feeling of loss and grief. Hmm. What about uh, 
Meredith Broadway's remark, which I think, I know I certainly um, empathize with uh, mm-hmm. that this, anytime you're making a decision, it's like you're, you're having to consider so many different uh, factors. It wasn't hard to, to decide whether or not I was going to go to an event seven months ago. Either I, I'm available or I'm not. Now you have to ask 30 different questions. And even then you're not sure. Yeah, decision fatigue is actually a real thing. And that's why, I don't know if you guys have ever heard, that's why they put candy like near the checkout aisles in grocery stores. Because you get so tired after making so many decisions in the store that you're much more likely to make an impulsive buy right at the checkout counter. (laughs) And so decision fatigue is a real psychological phenomenon. And now we're just experiencing it times 100. So if I take nothing else from this episode, I will never (laughs) forget that. So wait, so how can we protect our our, our wallets from, from the checkout aisle? Uh, I think just, just knowing that, <laughs> yeah, knowing that, because I literally, I, I say that to myself. I'm like, okay, I know that is here because I'm tired and I'm much more likely to make an impulsive decision. And I think you just have to decide whether it's something you really want or if it's a decision you're making for an impulse buy because you're tired. It sounds like Marina just gave the Bob Newhart answer. Just <laughs> yes, I love it. So, <laughs> so like, what do you? So, when you have to make the so, because I think you know, so a lot of our folks are pastors or a ministry in some mm-hmm. capacity, and a lot of the time you have to make a lot of decisions. Um, and then, like, I, I don't know if Luke feels this way, but like, I'll often get home and my wife will want to make certain decisions about certain things. I just go, uh, can we just talk about it later? And then, mm-hmm. like, somehow the conversation never happens. And it, and honestly, it usually is my fault. So like, how, how can you recover from decision fatigue and then figure out like, okay, now time to make decisions um, for your personal life. Cause I, yeah, I just, I know I'm not the only one. Other people have this problem too. They make decisions at work all day and then they get home. They're like, eh, I don't want to make a decision about anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Honestly, I think now is a time for people. I hate the word self-care because I think it comes with a lot of connotations that are not super helpful, but now's the time for us all to be taking more and more preventative measures to protect ourselves from being vulnerable to stress and things like decision fatigue. So for me, I've like totally upped my mindfulness practice. I am taking breaks during my day to go sit outside. You might be able to see like the trees out behind my window. I am taking like a five minute break between sessions, things that I wouldn't normally feel like I needed to do to get through the day, but we need to do them. And now is a time to do like, get your basic needs covered, like drink lots of water, eat regularly and sufficiently, um, connect with someone you care about, like every day throughout the day, as many times as you can, because Otherwise, like we don't have that much that we can change to protect ourselves. Yeah. There's another spiritual so take a break. <laughs> take a break. <laughs> that's what I mean. That's what it sounds like. Take, take yeah, a break. There, yeah. there really take is another spiritual break. principle here. Oh, go ahead, Marina. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say take breaks often. But yeah, my mind also went to spiritual perspective on that. So please tell us more. Yes. Sabbath. And, and, and yeah. one, one important thing about Sabbath, I think a lot of, uh, Christians misunderstand is that 
It's not just a day that it's actually a principle. Uh, and it's something that we see modeled by Christ himself. The, uh, it says more than once in the gospels, while he's surrounded by people and things he needs to do, he gets away from all that and goes up on a mountain to be with his father. Uh, I think of Paul who talks about praying without ceasing. I know one thing that, uh, and this is where obviously we're not, we would like the pandemic to go away. However, God's certainly capable of using it for good purposes. And I know one thing that he's done in my life is I was feeling convicted before all this stuff happened about the importance of praying throughout the day. And so I had considered, for example, okay, when I get to the office, before I pick up my to-do list and start doing stuff, I'm going to pause and pray. Um, and now I do that because I have to. It's there's, uh, Otherwise, it's too difficult to make it through the day. And so I, I think that this principle of breaks for the Christians, it's not just a matter of stopping and resting. It's a matter of stopping and resting specifically in the Lord and drawing your attention to him and hearing what it is that he has to say about whatever it is that you're doing that day or in that moment. And, and it's really quite countercultural, right? Because here in America, we pride ourselves on working hard, right? So if you work 40 hours a week, like that's really not that much, like, especially in pastors, like we, we look in and we celebrate. I remember one time, this was years ago, I was looking at different pastoral positions and what the, what the requirements were of different churches. No lie. Every, I looked at probably 15 different job postings. Every single one said a minimum of 60 hour work week. And I legitimately wow. thought like 60, wait, aren't I supposed to take a Sabbath? Like, like, how do you, like, this, this is like, this is kind of a biblical command. The, the, the Sabbath is made for man, right? So, um, so we can rest and we celebrate this in, I think our culture in America, which it's good to work hard. And I say, I said this cause we were in Nehemiah 13 a couple of weeks ago and we covered the Sabbath. Um, and I told the congregation, I said, Hey, um, God has commanded for you to work incredibly hard for six days a week. That seventh day is for you to rest, for you to rest and to worship. And um, for some folks, rest looks quite differently. So for me, because I'm mostly a pencil pusher, right? I'm, I'm not doing a lot of physical labor. Um, I'm, it's mostly mental and emotional. Then on my day off, I try to do anything but something that's emotional and in and, and using my mind, I try to do something more physical. Um, and for the exact opposite, for those who are busting their rear end for six days a week with physical labor, do something more mental on that day yeah. um, so you can get that rest. But, but it goes deeper than seventh day too. I mean, biblically, you, you look at, there's the seventh day Sabbath, there's the seventh year Sabbath, and then there's the seventh seventh, that special year of Jubilee Sabbath. And I think you could also take that principle in the opposite direction of every seventh hour or seventh minute, whatever, however you want to work it out. It's not just a matter of for these six days, you're working your, yourself uh, uh, into oblivion. And then on the seventh day, you can finally breathe. Uh, Marina is talking about something very important, which is rest throughout your yeah. day. Yeah. yeah. And, and one thing to bring it back to the, to the COVID and mental health is that at least what I found in the first three months um, and it really bore itself out because I wrote a book during it. <laughs> um, so that's, that, I was, uh, I, it was hard for, I think a lot of people, cause people are working from home and they go, oh, I need to work even more to justify myself. So if someone was actually working 50 hours a week before, 
they're probably working closer to 60 or more because now they're just doing more work because they're trying to justify their position. They don't feel like they're truly working. And that took an incredibly emotional toll um, on myself. And I'm sure, and I talking with other people, I mean, I had a conversation with someone the other day and they said, I'm working more now than I ever did now that I'm working from home. And that's not good. Can you speak to that Marina? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Eric, I actually had the same experience. Um, When we initially went home, I felt like I needed to like show everyone how hard I was working by producing really high quality, like quantities of work, which actually I think was just a kind of distortion in my own brain about what I needed to do in order to justify it. And I think that goes back to maybe a second suggestion in addition to self-care is for people to be gentle with themselves right now. You know, we're in a situation where nobody has prior experience. Nobody knows what to do. Everyone is experiencing COVID time. I think someone said like BC before COVID (laughs) um, time. And you know, there's no um, difference in physical space between work and home, which makes it easy for things to bleed together. And we are still trying to maintain these crazy high standards of production in our work. And it's just not feasible um, to work ourselves this hard. And so I think Mm -hmm. people need to find that balance between that works for them individually, between Mm -hmm. rest and work Mm -hmm. in a way that is fulfilling and is not going to burn them out. Because I think what we're seeing now is that COVID is going to be a marathon and not a sprint. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting you bring up COVID. Are you at all concerned? Go ahead, Eric. Go ahead, Luke. I was just going to mention. Um, So, and I think I we're kind of we're. Oh my god! I think one of our maybe my internet connections. My internet connection. Did you you just tell me to go ahead um, and interrupt? Yeah. So I was. (laughs) No, you stopped. I said go ahead. You stop. At least there's a delay. There's a delay. Uh, Um, Looks like so. I'll go ahead. How about that, Luke? Uh, Hold on. Hold on, you're having you're having connectivity problems. You're having a bit of connectivity problems. So while you sort through that, I'm going to ask my question, which is also Meredith's question. Um, Meredith brings up the fact that this has become a real lesson in living in the moment and not the future payoff because there's so much that we don't know what it's going to look like in a month, three months, six months, a year. I think that's one thing about COVID time that has been very difficult in terms of mental health is you don't have a sense of almost like, um, what's the term? It's almost like you're living in constant vertigo because you don't know where you're going to be arriving because you don't know what it's going to look like. Yep. Yeah. And for most people who have anxiety, that uncertainty is totally overwhelming. And anxiety and fear live in either like the future or the past, right? It's either like the what if thoughts, what's going to happen, or it's the, oh crap, I can't believe I did that. Why didn't I do something different? And so by focusing on the present, Meredith makes a really good point because that's where we can thrive in our lives is really worrying about the things that we can control right now, which is how we focus on what's happening in the moment. Mm-hmm. Eric, will you just do a quick test so we can see if we can hear you? I'm yeah. serious. Can, can you hear me? You're good. Okay. okay. Your turn. Ooh, that's good. Um, so, so I, I don't know. I've been concerned about this, and, and I don't know if, if for you as a, 
uh, mental health provider if it is, but it seems like how how we've popularly addressed COVID is purely from a physical um, standpoint, as in don't get the virus, right? Um, And make sure other people don't get the virus. And if you don't adhere to these things that we are saying you need to do, right, then you hate people, right? Like you want people to die, which is like the most insane thing anyway. Um, Sorry, my my bones to pick, they are coming out today. But um, they always do. I know I can't help it. So, but it seems like whenever, cause I've had these conversations, right. In, in people within our circles, uh, in our denomination, I've said, well, what about mental health? And their immediate response is, why do you want granny to die? <laughs> like as though granny's physical well-being is more important than my mental well-being. Um, now, I'm willing to concede my own mental health for the betterment of other people. That's fine. But I'm not willing to concede other people's mental health for the sake of other people's physical well-being and weigh them as though they're not equal. Um, and I think that bears out. So I guess I'm answering the question that I'm posing to you that bears out in the increased rate of suicide, right? <laughs> like, the, like, and, and not only that, but the people who are probably going to have onsets of things like depression, anxiety and all this other stuff yeah I don't know. Well, since, you... since eric answered his own question um wes i would say if you I, were, asked... I was asking if she felt the same way as a mental health care provider <laughs> um yeah i guess my like official advice would be to follow cdc guidelines <laughs> we don't want um, the official advice we want the like we want the no holds barred this is what marina Harris really thinks. I mean, well, I don't know. Those who know me also think that that Marina non-doctor thinks that we need to follow um, guidelines and like you need to find that balance for yourself. So like if that means you going to a brewery and sitting outside and like wearing your mask when you're inside and then going to get a drink outside because like you need that to get out of the house, like do that. Um, so it's about each individual person finding that balance between like, how do we protect the community physically and how do we take care of our own mental health? So I guess I don't have like a non-political answer for that. Um, Cause I think it's really individually specific. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I wasn't looking for, a po- and uh, I do appreciate that. And I understand that, you know, in your own, you know, with your profession, you have, you know, um, I feel like I, I you're, feel like you're not doctor, right? I feel like you're insinuating that Marina secretly thinks that the CDC is just making things up. No, 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 I'm not. No, I don't mean to insinuate that at all. I really don't. But, Um, you know, I I think it's challenging to have the conversation because, um, you know, not only do people get upset when you tell them something they don't want to hear, but they get like vengefully upset. Mm -hmm. So um, and it's really sad. Yeah. I, actually, I do before we let marina go uh actually we didn't ask you this before, before we let her go it's only 239 man well hold on we, have show asked her, we haven't asked her what her deadline is we should have asked her oh, before the show yeah. marina when do we need to get you off oh i had blocked off until three so rock on okay yeah um there's a i, I there's one more question i want to get to before we have to start wrapping up in about 15 minutes but there's some great ones here in the comment section i'd love to hear your response to uh, Wes's question, is there a connection of anger to depression? Because I, I, I mean, speaking personally for a moment, 
I hadn't thought about it until this moment, but I think I have been a lot angrier of late than maybe uh, before all the COVID stuff. And now I'm wondering where that where that come from? Yeah, yeah, I am of the like camp, I guess, that emotions communicate important information to us. So there is a time when each specific emotion shows up for people. So we feel fear when there's danger present, right? Mm -hmm. Fear mobilizes us to either fight off an attacker or to run away and it protects us, right? So each emotion tells us really important information and anger shows up when we have a goal that has been blocked. So for example, like let's say um, my goal is to get off this show at three o'clock, but you guys <laughs> hold me until 3.30. I might be a little bit frustrated, right? Because my goal is to get off at three and you guys are like, no. Um, so, <laughs> so that's something really important to know. So you might want to ask yourself if anger is showing up, like what goal do I have that's being blocked right now? And what can that tell me? And how do I use that to get the thing that I want? Um, but the other thing is that anger is often a secondary emotion. So, um, like for example, if you guys have ever been cut off on the highway, a lot of times what we notice is anger. We're like, mm -hmm. oh, you're so dumb. Like, how dare you cut me off? And we That's get like really quote agitated. That's from Luke Copeland, actually. Is it? <laughs> no. I'm sure he used more choice language than that. <laughs> so we feel anger, but what we don't notice is actually the fear that's underneath the anger, right? It's really scary to get cut off when you're going 80 miles per hour on the highway. And so anger can often show up as a secondary emotion. So we need to check in with ourselves when anger shows up and say, okay, is there another emotion that I'm experiencing that is underneath my anger? Yeah. Marina, we need you to know something. If at yeah. any point it lo you're looking at our faces and it looks like we're laughing at you, it's Mike Alex's fault. He makes <laughs> comments on the side and they're very funny and he only at inappropriate times. Um, I saw the <laughs> comment box ticking up and up and I thought there must be something happening. <laughs> I, I, I want to keep going down this vein a little bit though because you've said something here that for me is really insightful this idea that anger is sometimes a secondary um uh, kind of reaction to fear so biblically uh, we talk to our people a lot about forgiveness um and as a result we do i don't know about eric but you know i i do a lot of counseling with people who i think are experiencing a lot of anger because of hurt that's one thing that i've learned a lot recently yep. is that not all the all the time, but a lot of angry people are very wounded people. And so uh, there I think maybe there is some you've pointed out a really deep connection there between anger and fear or anger and hurt. Um, and I wonder how much of that is being exacerbated by the situation we now find ourselves in. Oh, yeah. All emotions are being exacerbated right now. <laughs> we are feeling all the feelings. So it doesn't necessarily have to be fear or hurt. But I imagine that people are feeling lots of emotions and may have and anger can be primary, too. But my guess is that a lot of people are feeling anger as a secondary emotion. And I don't know about you guys, but I identified a lot with an article that talked about how what we're feeling is grief. 
Um, so mm -hmm. people are grieving for all these things that they have lost because of COVID. It doesn't necessarily have to be people, but it can be activities, time with family, um, milestones like graduations and, and playing in sports and things like that. And so I think we're all feeling a lot of grief right now. Mm. So the best way to handle all of these feelings, I'm going to assume, is to push them off. Mm -hmm. um, Just bury them deep yeah. and yeah. never talk about them. Yeah. So yeah. knowing knowing that's not Don't the do case, that. How can we... <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> how can we uh, feel... This sounds like so... Uh, it just makes me like feel icky saying it, right? Feel um, the feelings. How can we feel our feelings? Yeah. You're yeah. such a dude. <laughs> I know. I'm so sorry. Like, I just don't, I don't, I, that's, I don't know. Maybe it's. Uh, um, Ma Marina, weird. before you answer, I do want to make a remark. I'm teasing Eric, but I think there is something very true here. In a lot of men in our churches, they're afraid of their feelings. Marina, please tell the men listening why they shouldn't be afraid to express <laughs> their feelings. Yeah. So not having feelings is dead people goals. We aren't human without feelings. <laughs> <laughs> I just had like pictures of, uh, 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 of uh, what's his name? What's that movie? The Sixth Sense. Yeah, I definitely didn't make that term up, although I'm not going to give appropriate credit because I forget who said it, but our feelings communicate important information to us. If we dig our feelings deep, deep down and never see them, we would have no idea what the heck we're angry about. And then we can never solve the problem. Mm -hmm. So it really doesn't help you. Um, I actually have an article about this that I can send if people are interested in learning how to feel their feelings. But really the first step is just to notice what you're feeling and be able to label it. Now, um, a comment from Meredith kind of brings us back to, because she's talking about how physical work really helps to lessen the tension. Mm -hmm. But I, I want to come back to it. Toward the beginning, we talked about people feeling overwhelmed by work. We didn't address, I think, people who are in a completely different situation. Because Eric and I have, you know, a full-time job and relatively young children. So, of course, that's going to be our issue. I know there are other people, especially older folks in our congregation, who don't feel safe going almost anywhere, who are experiencing the absolute opposite problem of they have nothing to do and nowhere to go. Could you speak to people in that situation for a moment? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's two sides of the same coin, right? Is even though, even when we're overworked, we need connection and rest. When we're underworked, we also need connection. And then maybe the opposite would be like physical activity and movement. And those are all things that are really basic needs that not everybody gets. And those are things to prioritize right now. Um, but I would encourage people who are at home and have very little to do that's fulfilling right now to get with somebody who's a trusted person and brainstorm things that you could be doing, any like hobbies to take up or things to do at home to have some extra support and to reach out with people who care about you and to get that connection. Mm -hmm. Um, Eric, do you mind if I respond? So, to so not the, the, you, you uh, the, the, are we, are we, yeah, yeah. So, uh, I'm thinking, uh, I just remember this comment about Martin Lawrence Jones, who is a well-respected pastor who is beloved in our circles, um, who said, don't trust your feelings. I love it. 
Um, but uh, I think I think what he means by that, and and I think that you would probably agree with this, Marina. But you know, don't let me think for you. Um, is what he meant by that is that don't don't react on your feelings like don't make decisions based on your feelings understand that your feelings are a symptom of something that's that's going on and ultimately as as christians what we believe god teaches us is that our feelings are a symptom of symptom of our fallenness uh, uh, a symptom of our imperfections and our in um our iniquities whoa, that can whoa. only truly Hold on, hold on. I, 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 I don't think you meant to say it that way. I think you meant our feelings as they are now. You almost made it sound like feelings are a result of the fall. I don't think that's what. Oh you were yeah, I didn't mean it. it. I'm sorry, I didn't mean it. That. Thank okay. you for correcting me. Yeah, yeah. But like, like, like anger with people that can drive us to cut them, yeah. like cut them off out of yeah. our life. Like, so that's what I think um, right. he would mean, Lloyd Jones, and and that I think is a biblical perspective that. You know, just because you're angry with someone doesn't mean you cut them off. And in fact, right. your call is to recognize that anger and to offer up forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And your um, Martin Lloyd-Jones was probably talking about there's a saying in psychology that says feelings aren't facts. Right. So sounds like Ben are- Shapiro. Yeah, <laughs> maybe I don't know. You guys know all these quotations. I don't know where all these people came from. I should probably do my research more. Um, but feelings are one part of the picture. So if we're ignoring our feelings, we're ignoring an important part of the picture. But we also can't only focus on our feelings. We have to also consider thoughts, the situation, our interpretations of the situation, yeah. uh, our physical sensations, all that kind of stuff, our behaviors, right? So all of that stuff is an important piece of the puzzle and only having one of those is going to get us into trouble no matter which one that is. Yeah. The, yeah. the remark the remark that I wanted to make, um, I appreciate Marina's point that we should not be feelings driven, but that we should be feelings aware. And that's uh-huh. actually that's actually a very biblical idea. Um, if you if you study the Psalms, there is within the Psalms, and this is if you believe I, I don't I don't know what Marina believes, but I know that Eric and I believe that the Bible is actually you know inspired from God. So in the songbook that God gave us, it actually um, includes songs about fear, anger, revenge, despair. I, I mean, guys, if you if you really want to pick me up, go read Psalm eighty eight. Because if you did not already feel horrible by the time you're done with that one, you will feel worse. Uh, but it, it, it's, an ama- it's an amazing psalm because so often, and I understand Meredith's point about preaching truth to yourself. Totally, totally agree with that. So, you know, speak truth to what you feel. With that said, um, Psalm 88, the, it, it, Eric mentioned earlier uh, the, the movie not God's Not Dead. We've, we've sort of talked before about other Christian forms of media where there always has to be a nice, neat, happy ending with the bow on the top of it. What makes Psalm 88 amazing is the psalmist pours out all this garbage, just this emotional garbage to God, and you're waiting for him to say, oh, but Lord, I'll still praise you, or oh, but Lord, and it never comes. Psalm 88 just ends in the gutter, and I take people to that psalm uh, I've, I've gone to that psalm so many times these past couple of years as I've learned how to counsel to show them that God's not afraid of your feelings, that you don't have to hide despair or anger or grief from God. And you certainly aren't doing yourself any favors by trying to hide it from yourself. 
So we shouldn't be feelings driven, but biblically speaking, I think you can say we should be very feelings aware. I love that. All right. Well, yeah, that, ben Shapiro, that, 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 I still care about your feelings, but I'm that, saying God does. Boom. That Marina agrees with me. Gotcha. So we're just going to end the show right here. <laughs> yeah. No, um, Mike Alex, I think, asked the question jokingly, but uh, it brings up the, the one other thing that I wanted to get to. Eric, before I ask my final question, was there anything else that you wanted to get in before Marina has to go? No, no, I, I don't think so. I think we covered so, everything. Um, while we're on this subject of, uh, yes, Meredith, I agree. Truth can quickly reorient our feelings. I agree. Um, on the subject of anger and rage, and I'm, I want to be clear, I'm not going to ask you a political question. I'm going to ask you a psychological question. Okay. COVID has made everything oh. crazier, including our politics. Um, I, I think it, it is safe to say that we are as polarized as we've ever been in my lifetime mm -hmm. politically. And especially we see on social media, which of course people are using more than ever because the only place where you can get social interaction sometimes um the the anger and the judgment and the rage and the i mean it's just rampant so without having to feel like you have to give any sort of a political prescription will you just speak psychologically to what is happening to us politically and the way that that vicious political cycle affects our mental health yeah i think you summed it up perfectly that we're in a time right now where everyone's emotions are up to here and so when you add politics in the mix and administration to the mix everything is just going to sort of explode together i think the one um, shift that people are making right now is attributing judgments of character to people's politics and mm -hmm. Um, not to say that we, I don't know, should or shouldn't do that because especially for like certain underrepresented groups, sometimes like politics are a matter of life and death, right? And so not to minimize the importance of anything to anybody, but you know, people have this attribution that if people are voting a certain way, or if they belong to a certain political party, that that means that they're sort of a bad or good person. Mm -hmm. And I would just really encourage people to take a more uh, non-judgmental stance and not evaluate things in terms of good and bad terms. I think right now, everybody is just trying to do the best they can with the information that they have available. And I think, and I don't know what you guys think about, but I would say that that messaging is consistent with the Christian message to try and love each other. And that is... What I would just encourage everyone to try to try to do, even when we have disagreements. Yeah, the, the passage that comes to my mind is um, the one that, that everyone loves to quote from Jesus. They say, you know, don't judge lest you'll be judged. And many people misunderstand that to be just, you know, basically saying never judge anyone. That's not what it says. What Jesus goes on to say is um, don't go picking specks out of people's eyes till you've dealt with the log in your own which is just a, a really great way of saying, if you're gonna judge someone else for something that has to do with their character, you need to make sure that you are checking your own heart for that first. And that's, that's I think, the thing that we 
as Christians are failing to do in this politically polarized time is where we see specks or splinters everywhere and we no longer deal with the logs. And that's important that if you're going to, if you are going to make a value or a character judgment, which may sometimes be necessary in politics, then make sure that you are uh, checking yourself and asking the Lord to show your, you yourself and the things in your own heart before you begin accusing everyone else of the very thing that you might be guilty of. Yeah. See, Luke, I always thought that that passage was speaking about taking a log out of your own eyes so that you could hit other people with it. That's not the point. <laughs> I wonder uh, what Eric. the Bible would say about that, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, uh, yeah, listen, I am I am quite clear with people when I preach, when I teach, when I do everything. Like I am, I am, I recognize, and I think it's I think it's a blessing. The Lord really reveals to me my own my own sinful heart, my own iniquities, and allows me to deal with them. And He deals with me in those ways. And I'm driven to the cross, and now I can help other people deal with those things as well. Like I just said to someone the other day, I wanted to punch like punch th- someone in the throat. They thought I was kidding. I was somewhat serious. Um, but I know, like, I'm not supposed to do that. Like, I know that's not a good way to handle things. Um, that's this not is, righteous. This is very important for the people listening. You are not supposed to punch people you disagree with in the throat. This is a very important. You're not supposed to take the log out of your eye and hit other people with it. Um, now, now, Marina, you mentioned earlier that anger is the result of, of uh, uh, obstruction to goals, and I know your goal is to be done with your talk, so I don't want to add to your anger, so let me ask you one more question. Is there anything else that you might want to say or add? I feel like we've covered a lot of ground, but certainly in some ways we've only scratched the surface. So anything else that you might add before we let you go? No, I'm just so happy and grateful to have been invited on the show and certainly if anyone ever has questions uh, feel free to email me or check out my website uh, for some of the information that we talked about today and thanks for having me on the show yeah it it was great having you we i posted a link to your website in like at the top of the comments but just in case people messed um missed it it's um dr marina harris.com is that right mm-hmm. you can go pick it up i'm a subscriber i, I subscribe um, Thanks, and, I, and i listen i i can't say i read all the articles but i've read probably half of them and uh awesome. every single every single one i've read it's been a blessing so thank you uh, before, before we let you go i want to say one thing marina uh eric mentioned before the show off air that there are are people a lot of people who have sort of Actually, I think you spoke to this too a little bit. People who have sort of negative views or assumptions about psychologists. I want you to know I am one of those people. And I was nervous about having this conversation with you. And it was wonderful. I so appreciate you coming on and flattering some of my presumptions. Oh, yeah. He was was talking. He's like, we're having some quack on the show. Like, I don't believe it. And he never. He was so mad. And uh, I said, no, no, man, it's okay. She's really cool. <laughs> I like, never. No, I don't trust these quack. Out. That did not happen. Yeah, he did. He went quack, quack. He. I, I thought it was like the Mighty Ducks. How much he was quack. Oh well, I'm so happy I could represent psychologists, and you have a better experience now. <laughs> well, we're gonna let uh, Marina go, but we have the link to her websites in the comments, so you can go check out more great resources from her. And Marina, we appreciate your time today. Thanks, everyone. All right.
Luke, are we staying on and just letting her go? I think for a little bit, if that's okay. Well, that just happened. <laughs> she, yeah. So that's great. Um, usually we end the broadcast and then talk afterwards. But, um, you know, she's she's an important person. She probably has appointments and, and all that. So, no, let's um, do a great, let's great do a, show. Yeah, great show. We'll do a little bit of wrap up before we let, let her go. Obviously, she was here. The whole reason she was here was to give the psychological perspective. I think mm-hmm. it would be good before we wrap up the show to give a little bit of biblical perspective to kind of tie a ball. Yeah. Up. Yeah. So I was thinking about this and, and I was very uh yeah i'm not gonna anyway um i I was thinking about this before the show in that you know a lot of people want to pit science which is what psychology is right it's science and all medicine science against um the scriptures against faith but really like if we think about how we interpret the bible it is a science right so it is very scientific about how we interpret and study the word of god um, so we have some common ground there, but we have to understand that all truth is God's truth. And um, science is not infallible. We didn't have the opportunity to ask that question to Marina, but, I'm, you know, yeah, it was, other it wasn't the purpose, that wasn't the purpose yeah. of our discussion. With yeah, her, no, not at all. But I'm sure she would agree. I mean, because even psychology evolves over time. What, um, you know, what was acceptable 20 or 30 years ago is different. She even mentioned that before, not being like a huge Freudian, mm-hmm. not a huge Freud fan and, and just... Um, her approach is, is different. So you can see how that evolves over time. Medicine evolves over time. So we don't have to be afraid to engage. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was one of the things I wanted us to model over the last hour having her on because I, I very intentionally did not ask her about her faith background. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm not, I'm not quite sure. So um, like I, I wanted us to have a conversation without, having that kind of at the forefront knowing that we can cooperate with folks regardless of their field and accept what is true to be true that aligns with the scriptures and the things that aren't um and and there was nothing that i think that you know as we talked about this that did not align with the scriptures in fact i think much of it puts names to things that we see in the scriptures there's just a different vocabulary for it in Mm -hmm. psychology you know Mm -hmm. so well, the thing I really appreciated about her description of her approach is that it is um, pragmatic. So we should not be afraid to talk about our feelings, our history, um, the things that affect the way we make decisions. However, the goal of that psychology is actually um, to bear fruit in your life, not just to endlessly navel gaze. And I think maybe that's part of an assumption I have that's just not accurate about people in that field is that all they want to do is talk about uh, your Oedipus complex or your mommy issues or uh, your um, uh, your anger man your anger management that that deep thing within you that's constantly rising up and but that's not at all the approach that she seems to take obviously she wants to confront and address those things but it's for the purpose of living differently yeah right with the totally new testament it is so uh you have been saved you've been clothed with christ's righteousness now go and be Mm -hmm. free and and you're free from the sinfulness of you're free from your sinfulness you're free to not sin Mm -hmm. um you're no longer bound by it now ultimately because you know she mentioned um cognitive behavioral therapy which is something i learned a little bit about in college um because initially i was actually going to school for um for psychology 
Um, and then I had a professor say, hey, if you're going to be a psychologist, you need to get your theology down first. So then I switched my degree and then I never went back. So, yeah. um, so the cognitive behavioral therapy is, I think there is potential for there to be overlap with like say nuthetic counseling where you're looking at the scriptures and saying this is these are what the scriptures say now let's get you to a point where you can carry out what the scriptures have to say what they instruct us in so i think there is some overlap however west does make a good point um it's only as effective as it points us to christ yeah and that is our role as biblical counselors um i think there, you know i haven't thought about this enough right but initial my initial thought is you know i would be okay i'd feel comfortable going to say someone like um dr harris for for therapy and stuff like that mm-hmm. um i don't necessarily need to go I, I don't feel like i need to go to a um quote-unquote christian counselor or right. whatever that is um because like anything like any field they're a mixed bag um christian counselors are a mixed bag so are mm-hmm are secular counselors, but I also feel like I have the background in, in theology and biblical understanding where I can weigh that even going through that. So, yeah. um, there are some things that we can glean from that we can learn. So. Yeah. Oh, I like Meredith's comment. Uh, for example, understanding developmental psychology, uh, helps me understand better how my children function, helps me minister to them. I mean, I think that's a great example. Mm-hmm. If you try to parent a two-year-old the way that you parent a 12-year-old, <laughs> That's not going to go well. And now I can't give you chapter and verse that says thou shalt parent a two-year-old this way and a 12-year-old this way. But the Bible is the sole infallible rule. It's not the scope of all knowledge, right? right? All truth is God's truth. We judge it according to scripture, but there is information in other fields that can be helpful in our faithful living out of what uh, the Lord has commanded. Absolutely. And listen, there's going to be some garbage that comes up, right? So, um, you know, I did not ask, you know, on, on certain things, like you, you look at um, gender identity, right? So mm-hmm. um, if you ask a psychologist, um, you know, what they think about gender identity, what they say now could be very different than what it was 15 or 20 years ago. Um, before it was treated as though it were a disorder. And now the treatment for um, gender identity confusion or gender dysphoria is to, you know, go through all sorts of different treatments like hormone replacement and and even more drastic means. So there are some things where they pop up and you go, that doesn't align with God's word. Mm-hmm. And who knows, 30 years from now, we might look back at some of the things that, that people are doing going and liken it to how we did shock therapy back in like the early 20th mm-hmm. century with folks. Mm-hmm. For the record, I'm a big supporter of shock therapy, but that's for another day. The... Uh... <laughs> That was a joke. That was a joke. <laughs> uh, look, we uh, no. Thanks so much, Eric, for bringing on Marina. I I will let the audience know because I want to I want to give you credit where it's due. Um, I did not know Marina at all, and when you said, "Hey, I'd like to bring her on," I remember what I actually said to you was, "I I'm not sure how I feel about that, but I trust you." And it, you confirmed it for me once again, what a great judge you are as in terms of getting good people on to be guests on this show. She was fantastic. I thought the show was great. I appreciate everyone in the comments section chiming in, especially Mike, but also the people who had serious questions. Uh, it was a really great conversation. 
and he's welcome back on anytime. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah. Well, thank you for that compliment. Um, yeah, I mean, she's, she was a great guest. So. Shock therapy works on my dog. <laughs> um, is there anything else that we want to talk about? Is there, because we only get I mean, one show a week, man. And I feel like, you know, we should have brought this up. I, I should have asked Dr. Harris. I should have said, yeah. you know, ever since we went from two shows to one show, I don't feel as connected um, with mm. Luke anymore. My depression and anxiety has increased. Um, you know, I just, I find little pre- pleasure in doing things. No, Mike, Mike, the name of the show is Bible and Banter. If we didn't want banter, we would remove it from the title. You are welcome to my, the problem is me and Eric. Me and Eric need to learn some self-discipline and self-control and not burst into laughter when we read your comments. But your Bible says You see, see, MC Mike, Meredith only comes for your witty remarks on the side. I just want you to know, I had like 15 jokes written down to try to plug in there to, to, um, on you, but I didn't get to any of them. Well, you guys, you get to the important one. You made sure to bring up I was valedictorian. So yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I know you're very proud of that, and we, all of us here at Bible Banter, are extremely proud of you and your why, accomplishments. Um, I, admit this. I, I know that like families have totem poles, right? Like they have, like everybody ranks their kids whether or not they recognize it as who who they're most proud of. I had this conversation with a friend of mine when I was in the army, and he was saying like he had. Um, a sister that was a research scientist, another that was a lawyer, and I believe another one was a doctor, and he joined the army. Like, he dropped out in his last semester of college, joined the army, and he's like, listen, I'm at the bottom of the totem pole. I shared, I said, listen, it was just my sister and I. Um, she also dropped out of college, and, but she has, like, a really successful job. She's part owner of a, of a software company or something like that. Um, but I said, you know, I served my country. I came and I deployed to Afghanistan and Iraq. I said, you know, I feel like I'm at the height of the to- totem pole. Um, in your household, right, there's probably Ken Copeland's right at the top. And then <laughs> um, I only <laughs> – you're, you're, you have a brother that is a doctor in physical therapy. I don't know what your other brother does. But certainly, he could be president of the United States. I am absolutely sure that you would be at the top, being valedictorian at South Johnston High School. I first of all, I attended West Johnston High School. That's the second time. Oh, I thought it was South Johnston. My bad. My bad. West Johnston. Okay. Secondly, and I shouldn't admit this because it's just going to encourage you. I don't know why this embarrasses me so much, and I hate that you've discovered it. (laughs) (laughs) I am so. I don't know what it is, but I can't let these things go. In fact, if I don't, if I don't mention them, like I'll go crazy. I, I legitimately will. So, so I think, I think there is one um, uh, question that we could ask each other. And I don't know if it's something you'd be willing to share in such a public forum. So I'll, I'll let you um, decide whether or not you want to pass, but we could spend a few minutes just asking each other, Hey, how's your mental health? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Would that be okay for oh, us man. to do? <clears throat> I feel like we should have done this with Dr. Harris. <laughs> so when I start crying, she can comfort me. Um, t- my sister says that she's the favorite. Dad doesn't keep blocking my number. So that's fair. Um, for years, I've been telling my sister that I'm the favorite in the family. Um, but my dad somehow, I think it's because he's senile. Um, he just keeps blocking my number. So I can't text him. I can't call him. And then like, I'll, 
I'll have my sister call him and he'll go, Oh, I think I fixed it. And he doesn't. I went like six weeks. I usually call my dad once or twice a week. I went six weeks without calling my dad and he hardly even, he's like, Oh yeah, I guess I hadn't heard from you in a while. Yeah. You think? <laughs> so the mighty have fallen. That's for sure. So Eric, um, how... Eric's father is, is feigning senility. Cause he doesn't know how to, how to <laughs> listen. My sister would tell you, he's not feigning it. Like it, it is real. Um, so how how are you doing, Luke? I'm I'm okay talking about my feelings on air. I'm secure yeah. with my masculinity. I wear pink. <laughs> um, I'm okay. I'm okay. I I think that's the answer I've given a lot to people lately. Um, I would say a couple weeks ago I was not okay. Uh, I would say yesterday I was not okay. And one thing that um, I'm still having to learn is to recognize when I'm not okay. I think, uh, you know, I made, I made the joke about you being such a man and afraid of your feelings, but I, I've mentioned before that a lot of times when I'm in a really rough spot, um, I'm the last one to the party. Mm -hmm. Like I just sort of live in this world of self-denial until it becomes unavoidable to recognize what I'm really feeling. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I would say right now I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, yeah, I'm not great. It's, it's been a long, um, five or six months and the past month especially has been, I don't want to use this word unjustifiably because I feel like, you know, in terms of quality of life, I've got it great, but the last month has been pretty brutal. I mean, we had the stuff going on with the break-in. Um, my family's been sick over the past uh, week or so. We just had, uh, about a week ago, within our congregation, our first positive COVID test of someone who's actually attending regularly. So we had to shut things down for um, a week and a half just to be safe and make sure that we weren't having cross-contamination. Um, and then there's also you know personal stuff that goes on behind the scenes. And I'm okay. I'm not great. Uh, there have been a few times I've been really bad, but right now I'm okay. I don't mean to make light of, uh, of you sharing that, but whenever you kept saying I'm not okay, I kept hearing it in the voice of the lead singer from the used in the song. I'm not okay. Do you know what song I'm talking about? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I'm probably going to listen to that song like three times on the way home. <laughs> <laughs> um eric tell me how you're feeling so i can make a, a, a pop reference to you <laughs> well i mean uh i am the worst judge of my own emotional health yeah, uh, so too. i think i think when i tell people i'm okay i mean it sincerely but mm. i don't recognize that i'm not okay mm. so i think um Robin will off, often notice it, even though she won't say anything, because mm -hmm. then I get defensive. So she'll almost, she'll almost, uh, Luke just bears his phone. <laughs> Eric is like, pass. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm trying, Meredith. I'm trying. So I think she recognizes it, but she also tries not to say anything, mm -hmm. or she'll try and say things subtly to tr mm -hmm. to work on a solution rather than just saying, "Hey, you, you." you seem really jacked up right now. <laughs> like you're really like, um, 
but I, I think because I get defensive, right? So, uh, like, I think about this. The other night I got home from playing hockey, and, um, like, I'm unloading my stuff out of my truck, bringing it to the garage, and she said, my face was really red, right? And she's like, were you crying? I'm like, no, I, I wasn't crying. I wasn't cr- Why? What makes you think I was crying? And um, I wasn't. I was legitimately just, like, I think maybe I had the heat on in my truck and I brought my bag in, which is really heavy and my face was red. Um, But, you know, just the defensiveness that came with it, because there are certainly reasons why I should be not okay. You know, Um, I'm still processing the loss of my mom back in April going through the COVID stuff is certainly challenging. Recently we moved our worship services back inside, you know, the, the pastors, usually the, the, um, f- emotional first responder for their congregation, but not only their congregation, but for other people as well. So, you know, it's kind of refreshing to hear Marina talk about how she'll often, I don't know if she said this on air or if it was before it got on air, but she'll lie about her um, profession when she gets on an airplane so that people yeah. won't like. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't do that. Um, I just don't talk to people on airplanes. But, you know, if I did, um, you know, a lot of times people will just bear their souls and, and, mm-hmm that's a privilege I think that we, that we have, mm-hmm. but it can also be weighty. So yeah. try and deal with our own emotional stuff mm-hmm. um, and other people's. And it's not something that you can just turn off when you get home. So how am I doing, man? I, I don't know if I was doing awful, I wouldn't be able to tell you. I wouldn't know. Um, you, you know, and Robin's not watching right now. She's off doing, uh, she was very disappointed. She couldn't watch today's show live. Mm-hmm. So, cause she really enjoys Marina, but um you know yeah it's you know this is the the point you're making eric is part of why it's so important to have real christian fellowship Mm -hmm. because other people see what you can't Mm -hmm. i mean this is one of the reasons i'm so thankful for my wife is because she sees it before i do um and and if that weren't the case i wouldn't see the train of you know my emotional breakdown until yeah, it, I w- it was five feet away from me on the tracks. Yeah. Um, she at least is able to, you know, like honk the horn and let me know it's coming so I can brace. Uh, but this is the case, I think, for all believers that this is this is part of Christian fellowship is to have people around you who really and genuinely know you and are a part of your life so that they can see the things that you don't see mm-hmm. yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I appreciate what Meredith, um, shared, you know, she, she said that, um, her husband, Matt, who's a pastor, you know, was just so I'm assuming emotionally drained and just at a low point where he couldn't even preach. Um, and all he did was sit down was and pray. Um, that's incredibly brave. You know, I think, I think that in one sense should be normalized for pastors where if you're about to approach the pulpit and you go, I just can't do this that's an incredibly honest thing for the congregation. Now, most churches should have um, other elders or someone that can step in and and help carry that load. Um, But if not, man, I mean, just to be able to get in front of the congregation and say, guys, I'm, I'm hurting right now. Like I I just, I can't bring myself to do this. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's just pray. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's a very real thing. Like I mean, I, I've been there, man. I, I, I've been there where, um, you know, you're, 
you're studying the word, you're praying, you're dealing with your own problems and other people's problems. And then you look at Sunday morning, you look at preparing a sermon, you look at whatever it is and you go, how in the world am I ever going to get up there? How can I, how can I instruct God's people, teach them um, if I'm struggling like this? And, and that, that's hard. Um, So I, I hope that the church received that really well. That's, that's my prayer for them. Yeah. Um, There's a, there's a term and I love um, by a man named Gerald Jeffers, where he he makes this statement that just the first time I ever heard it, it just like cut me deep down in the soul and and it stayed there where he said, um, if God wanted perfect preachers, he would have called the angels to preach. Instead, he called us. That if he had sent the angels, they would never be tired. They would never be. Uh, uh, emotional they would they would say only and exactly what god wanted them to say in exactly the way he wanted them to say it and instead he sent human beings yeah well i think i know some pastors think that they need to show or or act or put on a face to their congregation Mm -hmm. to make it seem like they're perfect listen man i try to bear everything with the like i want them to see like i'm not the perfect guy i'm not like i'm not jesus christ you don't need me to be jesus christ you need jesus christ mm-hmm. my my responsibility is to just present him to you and for you to partake in him um as i partake in him and i can only partake in jesus christ um and the congregation can only partake in jesus christ as much as they recognize that they are not jesus christ <laughs> they need him <laughs> they don't you know um so you know when i do when i do struggle right um when those times come where i'm just i hit a wall um it's really by god's grace in rest but by god's grace that um he brings me out of that because what will often happen is i'll have like all the week of just not being productive at all um and just I just can't do it, you know. Those happen. So hopefully that's not around the bend. Hopefully that's far, far off. But maybe Robin has other something else to say. I don't know. Well, I I think when that happens, that's when um, we need to be willing as leaders to call upon others to come alongside us and share the load. Mm-hmm. That there there are so many pastors who try to be um, Atlas with the world on their shoulders, and they have to carry it all because they're the guy. They have the position. They get the salary. That's their responsibility. Um, we should be quick to give responsibility away, especially when we're in places like that. Yeah. Yeah, man. So uh, so now that I'm ready to get off air and go cry for about an hour and, and do as Marina said, which is feel my feelings. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Luke. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. And tell somebody about your feelings, too. It doesn't have to be a professional psychologist. Just tell someone. <laughs> um. So go tell your pastor. That's that's my recommendation. Go talk to your pastor about your feelings. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll tell you what. It is such a privilege, um, to have people come into my office and sit down across from me and bear their souls, mm-hmm. and just lay out the great burdens of their lives. Uh, it's one of the hardest parts of my job, and by far one of the most rewarding. It 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 feels like the most glorious privilege every time someone takes the risk of doing that so just a quick illustration and story um and then we can close up but 
one of my favorite television shows of all time. Listen, don't get mad at me. Uh, we talked about this before. Like, actually, I think we talked about this in the bonus episode. We have a bonus episode that's dropping today. If you're a member of Bible and Banter on Patreon, right? So if you're a member, you're going to get this like soon, right? It is an episode on the presidential debate. Um, we just kind of give a recap and talk about those things. So uh, anyway, I revealed on there that I am a conservative libertarian, right? Um, so and when there are elections, um, I typically lean one way versus the other if a libertarian is not uh, available, one that aligns with my other views, my religious views. So um, with that said, one of my favorite television shows of all time is The West Wing. Um also commonly referred to as the left wing because it is about a left wing president and administration. It's about seven or eight seasons. It's really a great show, really well written. Um, it was very innovative for its time with its camera angles and, and all sorts of different stuff. Anyway, it's a great show, great storylines, great dialogue. But um, there's a scene where the president um, he had ordered there was going to be like a um, a storm coming up the east coast, and there was a ship that um so I forget it was like a carrier group that was um in the area, and he ordered them to go more eastward out into the ocean so that they could avoid the storm. So they go out that way, and all of a sudden the storm shifts, and guess where it's headed, Luke? Straight towards the carrier group. You know, the, this U.S. Navy carrier group. And it hits them bad. And one of the ships, like, looks like it's going to lose its crew, lose all sorts of stuff. And the and the president gets in the situation room. Or actually, no, yeah, I think it was the situation room. And um, he's trying to get a hold. He's going to talk to the captain, just kind of hear what's going on. And all they could get was, like, some low-ranking sailor. And he's like, you know, I'm, I'm pretty hurt. Like, I hit my head, can't find the captain, can't do all this and that. And like you're kind of anticipating what the president's going to say. And he just says, Ah, that's really bad, man. That sounds pretty bad. But he's sitting there and he's just like being present with that guy, even if it's just over the phone. Like this guy is facing potentially the ship being sunk. All sorts of things could happen, right? Like this is an incredibly bad storm. And the president didn't have the answers. He's not a naval commander. Um, he didn't try to have all the answers. What he simply tried to do was sit there and comfort some guy who was probably an 18, 19-year-old kid um, thinking about his mom and dad and his kid sister they left behind in Oklahoma somewhere, you know? So that was that was one of those moments in that show that actually I learned something about being a pastor, which is we don't often we're not often going to have the answers about things. If it's a biblical question, if it's a theological, theological question, I mean, Hey, we, if we don't know the answer, we'll both try and figure it out. Right. But some of these emotional things that happen, oftentimes we don't know how to handle it unless we've gone through it ourselves. And sometimes the best thing we can do is just go, that's tough, man. Yeah. And just one, of the great, one of the great lessons of the book of Job is that sometimes the best thing you can do for a hurting friend is to sit with them and be quiet. Mm -hmm. um, Job's friends messed up when they started trying to talk through his problems. They should have just sat and suffered with him. Mm -hmm. Before we close, the by the show, way, Meredith said that she loves the West Wing. So, Meredith, I'm curious, who's your favorite character on the West Wing? While we're waiting for Meredith's answer, I would like the formal record to show 
that I have my microphone in my office with a I black sock it, over it and I am using it. So there will be no more harassing of Luke about his microphone. So, so is that a black sock that's over it? This is my wind guard. Looks like, it looks like a black sock. Like you just pulled one out of the drawer this morning. Eric, how do you feel about ASMR? ASMR. I don't even know what that is. You do what? <laughs> no. That sounds like a cuss word. I'm gonna, I'm gonna send you a video later. Um, so you say Josh no contest. That's what Meredith says. That's it. That's interesting. Very interesting. Well, uh, quite an insightful episode, and we appreciate our guest Marina. We appreciate Eric bringing her on. We appreciate you guys in the comment section, especially you, Chad, who has. The more I see your name, the more I like it. I've never met a Chad with an S at the beginning. I love it. Uh, Are we saying, is it Shad or is it Sachad? I think it's Shad, but it just kind of looks to me like a cooler, more ethnic Chad. Yeah, I definitely find the choice between my name being Chad or Sachad. I'd go with Sachad. Maybe it's short for Shadrach. He'll have to tell us on future episodes. Oh, I didn't think about that. Could be Shadrach. Interesting. Be continued. Tune in next week to find out what Shad's full name is. Don't put it in the comments yet, Shad. <laughs> Take care. By the way, Lou, uh, or, um, uh, McGarry, Leo McGarry is my favorite character on the West Wing. So, anyway. Yeah, it's, it's a Yeti. God bless you guys. We love you. We'll see you next week. And I don't know what we're talking about next week. What are we talking about, Luke? What do you want to talk about? We'll be talking about Bible and banter. Okay, sounds good. God bless you guys. Don't get the COVID.